Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Welcome to the Fix Your Sciatica podcast, where we meet with experts and clients and discuss how to manage your sciatica and low back pain without the use of medications or surgery. I'm your host, Dr. Ashley Mack, and I'm a physical therapist as well as the founder of iFixYourSciatica.com, a go-to resource for pain management. So here at iFixYourSciatica.com, one of our biggest focuses is to help you relieve yourself of your sciatica pain without having to use medications or even minimize the chances of surgery. But there are some cases in which surgery is in fact indicated or could be extremely helpful. And there's a lot of misconceptions in regards to what surgical approaches are there, are they effective, and even how to actually recover from all this. And so today's guest is a very special guest, um, physical therapist turned neurosurgeon. And I found his profile via LinkedIn and just looking at all his work, I'm a huge fan. And he is the, the, the founder of his own neurosurgery clinic and he is just a brilliant human being. So on today's episode, I have Dr. Michael Verdon, um, neurosurgeon. Dr. Verdon, thank you so much for being on today's episode. Oh, I appreciate you having me. Uh, very humbled to be asked to tell my tell my story. It's uh, it's it's really cool. So let's talk about your story. Let's talk about your journey to to where you're at today, because I know that you've done some really remarkable things. But for the folks who may not have uh, say come across your name or aren't from, I believe it's the North Carolina area. Can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Um, yeah, hi. Uh, so I'm Mike Verdon. I'm a neurosurgeon. I actually practice in Dayton, Ohio. We have the, the, the software companies in Asheville, North Carolina, where my partners are there. Um, I was pretty normal kid, raised in Jersey, a uh, little nothing. I went to college in Los Angeles, got a business degree about a thousand years ago. We're using slide rules and parabolas before computers, really, and uh, before the internet existed, and moved back to Jersey. Uh, I had gotten injured in high school and went to physical therapy, got better. So I kind of, someone suggested I look into that and I had no background in science and went to a clinic and I liked patient interaction and wind up a couple of years later studying, you know, it, it, the biggest thing, I guess my whole thing is about learning, learn more. Um, and so studying science and liking it and anatomy and applying to PT school and eventually getting into a PT school, um, in Wheeling, West Virginia, where we had a problem-based learning curriculum, and it was all about the patient. Everything was centered around the patient, and then you go learn it on your own. There was no teachers. You apply yourself to a book, you create your own learning objectives, and um, I actually thrived in that environment. I was not a terrific student as a kid when something was being shoved at me, but when I could pick what I wanted to learn and go learn it, it was really easy. I mean, you follow your passion, right? So finished PT school, wound up in a big university setting and saw these medical students and thought these people are sleeping in, in, in class. How come I can't go do that? And someone encouraged me to go to medical school. And so applied to medical school and, um, and I got in, um, again, it only takes one, so one interview, got into one school and 
same thing. I, I, in, in a span of two weeks, I quit my job, moved, got married, started medical school. Um, in same thing, I just applied myself to, I was paying for it. And, uh, I studied in medical school to maybe someday I could have something, learn something that would help somebody. Uh, and then we had a, a very visual, um, the way we educated us. And I decided I wanted to try to go into neurosurgery. Uh, I didn't really know why, um, other than I liked the nervous system. And I started hanging out with a surgeon who was doing spine surgery. And um, I was very suspicious of spine surgery prior to this. As a PT, I saw a lot of patients get hurt. And I didn't understand why. And I thought it was kind of like um, didn't work. And so and then I went and hung out with the surgeon. And I watched a surgeon operate. And it was like watching someone paint. It was really kind of meditative and, and um, fascinating. The more present I was, the more amazing it became. And um, the patients actually did okay. They did well. And so I thought maybe there's something to this. And eventually I got into a neurosurgical residency program where I learned basic principles of spinal surgery from neurosurgeons and orthopedists both. So I learned how to do a fusion, which is typically thought of as an orthopedic procedure and then a decompression. Um, and so what the bottom line is, I left residency knowing a couple of things that spine surgery accomplishes. It can decompress a structure. So if something's being pressed on, we can actually go in there and take that away. It's usually bone or disc. If something is moving too much, we can stop the movement. So if there's instability, we can fix it. And if there's uh, a deformity, you can realign it. And so really from a surgical perspective, that's what I look at now. What are the three things I can do? It doesn't say you go fix degenerative disc disease. It doesn't say you go fix a... Um, quote unquote, even sciatica, you know, that's really a symptom complex. That's not the cause. So I left training realizing you have to clearly define a, a cause of the patient's symptoms that correlates to what they're feeling. So a lot of times you just, you know, you're taught, look at the MRI. Well, the MRI has to correlate with the patient's symptoms. As a therapist, I learned how to take symptom, symptom driven uh, history very well and come up with what are the causes that could be doing that structurally, right? Muscle, ligament, bone, nerve, right? Neurosurgery training, it was more of, you know, what nerve is being affected and what you do about it. So I was able to combine those two in, in, in a greater fashion and then practice doing that. And so my exam consists of a physical exam, which is more like what a therapist might do some, to some degree. It's modified. And then a neuro exam, like a neurosurgeon should do. And then structurally finding out where their abnormalities are that relate to their symptoms. So it's your story. I always have to get back to the patient's story and then devise a treatment plan. And, you know, in my community, I was the only guy seeing patients. I was like the primary care physician for spine patients and not everybody needed surgery, right? The average clinic sees 20 patients for one surgical procedure done. So you see quite a few patients. The problem is if you're seeing that much volume, you cut corners, skip stuff, don't listen because we're all human, right? So you can miss miss what the diagnosis really is. The patients will tell me if I if I listen. Um, so long and short of it, um, I started referring patients out for non-surgical problems uh, to therapy, and uh, I learned great things that therapy had come up with since I left, and like dry needling and soft tissue techniques, and all these wonderful things that I can't do. And um, in the meantime, I decided to come up with an algorithmic way to follow define pain, pain generators off of uh, using a combined history taking from both therapy and physician and surgery 
how do you know? And then it, you can kind of come up to a point of what's the most likely common cause and then treat it. Uh, and the treatment usually begins with conservative care. You know, I don't, not everybody should run to the knife unless you're in neurologic trouble, um, meaning going to go paralyzed right now. And there's very few things that require surgery now. Very few. Um, like two, maybe in the spine, three at the most. So, um, that's kind of what we have come up with. And I've been practicing that for, for 13 years now. And we've developed machine learning software and triage software off of that too, to help other people get through the system uh, um, and, and find the right doc for the right treatment at the right time, right provider, right treatment, right time. And, and we feel like it's, it's, it's uh, reproducible and successful and uh, consistent. So in a nutshell, that's kind of, professionally where i you know i'm at i mean i'm personally i have a you know, wife two kids lacrosse dad running around like crazy but like everybody else i have a full life but this is just how the clinic decision making and you have to kind of make it routine so it's predictable i really liked how it was this evolution from say like one concentration to another but then based on your previous experiences you were able to combine and say okay these are the best solutions and i think one of the uh, another really interesting thing was you talked about this concept of machine learning and machine learning artificial intelligence is all the rage right now and right. there's a lot of challenges that or there's a lot of challenges also a lot of naysayers but ultimately i think what I'm very most excited about when it comes to what you're building and, and what your team is, 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 is getting out there is that there's creating a, it's a standardization, a reproducible opportunity because let's take, for example, uh, just looking at MRIs, right? Um, you, you, you take one MRI and you put it in front of 10 different physicians, yeah. you're going to get 10 different answers. Right. And so right. And ends up being very, very, uh, there's a lot of varieties there. And it makes it very ex uh, extremely challenging because of the fact that we're not getting a standard uh, of care. And that's and that's one of the, the big things. And I, I love the fact that you talked about this concept of problem solving and also focusing specifically on the patient. I, I wrote in my notes, it, you, it was like, it is your story. And from your story, we're devising a treatment plan. So um, hmm. it's, it's really uh, amazing from there. So... Um, I, you talked about it briefly, but let's talk about the the three major reasons as to why someone would consider surgery. You were talking about decompression, decompression of a structure, um, bone disc, stopping movement, aka instability, and then uh, deformity, so realigning it. And so, um, from what you've seen, uh, let's talk about decompression specifically, uh, whether it be mm -hmm. a disc or um, or some sort of bone. Um, what are some of the common causes? as to why someone actually would need a form of decompression. Do people just all of a sudden, they're walking one day and all of a sudden, boom, their nerves become compressed or is it something different? That's an awesome question. So um, I am a, I would call myself a community neurosurgeon, but really I take care of degenerative problems. So arthritic based issues. Um, the, if a disc is quote unquote herniates, it can happen quickly. Um, it usually the symptoms get bad 24 hours after a disc herniation. Why? Because the disc herniates out um, for the most part, 90% of the time, presses on a nerve, and then the body sends inflammatory mediators to get rid of that disc herniation because it's not supposed to be there. It's actually identified by the body as foreign or not 
So it sends white cells and all these different, it's uh, leukocyte mediated white, I call them Pac-Men, right? So the Pac-Men are going out there to try to take out the disc. Well, the disc is right next to the nerve. Those inflammatory cells irritate the nerve. So that's why you get this hot leg pain after acute disc herniation, 48, 24 to 48 hours afterwards. Sometimes it's a, it's a massive extrusion. That's an emergency. Um, that's a different story. But one unilateral leg pain. Um, so that would be a disc reason. So if you can't, I took a McKenzie A course as a physical therapist, right? If you can't reduce it or it doesn't get better from traction or position, um, and you could do a small laminotomy and go in and, and remove the, the fragment or the part that's compressing on the nerve. And that's, that's a pretty common procedure. We call that a discectomy. When it's done under a microscope, it's called a microdiscectomy. People are now sticking endoscopes in spines called an endoscopy. I mean, it's all, but it's the same thing. Take out the fragment that's pressing on the root is really what the goal is. Works very well, super reproducible. Um, does that mean it's treated the whole disc? No, it's the fragment that's hit the disc. Do I change degenerative disc disease with that surgery? No, I do not. I take, those are really nerve root surgeries in my mind. Pretty predictable. Patients usually do well. I mean, you can always have something happen. For the most part, everything goes fine, and patients go home that day, next day. Um, for bone and ligament, the, the 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 joints grow bigger, right? So I I like arthritis is like this. If you cut a, a branch off a tree, and the uh, the bark starts to cap over where you cut the branch off, that's arthritis. So it's it's not, it's it just, it, and it's growing because there's, it needs to stabilize around the spine. The nerve roots can be compressed with that. So that's where bone needs to be removed. You usually do it with a high speed drill that looks like a Dremel or, a, you know, it's got a little diamond bit on there. And you can free up the root and patients typically do well too. With that, that does not require a fusion. Yeah. That's oh, kind sorry. of the two major things. Yeah. So we got discectomies. And then we have, uh, what, what would the, if you don't mind me asking, what would the term be if they're doing, say, opening up a foramen and removing some of that bony arthritis? What, what would that technique be called? So foramen, otomy means to open or to cut. It's called the foramenotomy, right? So lamina, you take the lamina off, laminectomy or laminotomy, you make a hole, right? So foramenotomy is just opening the roots that exit out the spinal canal. Yeah, that's um, that's a, a fantastic way to explain it. I think when patients go in to see a doctor, um, as you said, you're seeing if you're seeing a ton of patients, you might not necessarily have the time. And then to be told when you're experiencing so much pain that you would actually be a good candidate for surgery, given all these right. options or even just saying, like, these are the techniques. I think also at that point, it's not necessarily being offered an option. It's really more so saying based on your clinical presentation, the the uh, ineffectiveness or failure to resolve from conservative care, um, a discectomy or or in that a different scenario, a forum anonymy um, could be particularly useful and it, it could be very overwhelming. And so I think you explain it in a very simple, uh, digestible way, which I really appreciate because so many people are so overwhelmed by the time they're even in the clinic itself. One thing I've learned, someone told me, and I think it's true, no one, no one is coming to my office for surgery. No one. They want to understand what their problem is, and they want to understand how we can treat it. Um, 
I think they need to be given the opportunity to say, I don't think that will work. But most people want a better understanding of what the nature of the problem is and the nature of the solution, right? So if the solution is, look, that probably won't get better with therapy. That probably won't get better with chiropractic care. It won't get better with injections. It really needs to come out. That will get, sometimes people, I'm not super pushy with patients um, about you have to have surgery or don't waste my time. I've had people say that the doctor told me don't waste my time. I mean, I don't do that, but sometimes I'm like, this is what I'm recommending. If you don't want that, this is what it could lead to. It's your choice, you know, because, you know, look, all sorts of weird things can happen in the operating room. Even if you're super careful, we're all human, right? So it's got to be worth the risk. And you, I believe the patient has to believe in the treatment, has to. This is it. And a lot of people don't get to that point unless they've done everything possible, right? So as long as someone's not going to get paralyzed and I'll tell them, hey, call me, I'll be ready for you or whatever, uh, or you don't need me. A lot of patients who come in in really bad pain, I have disc herniation, it's been two days. You don't need me. Come back in six weeks. You know, and they can't, what do you mean? I'm like, you really got to give yourself a chance to get better. Um, but if I recognize that no one, they're not looking for a surgeon, they're looking for solutions. So, and then I, if I explain them the solutions, it's a lot easier for them to understand and make a good choice. We've changed the way that the world has gone around medical decision-making. It used to be, oh, okay, doctor, whatever you tell me, I'll do. That was probably a generation ago. And now it's like, it's shared decision-making. My goal is to educate you on a level that you understand, and I can guide you to what I think might the best decision would be given your situation. But they have to, people have to understand what, what's going on. I think the, when people don't, when things don't go the way that you could expect them to be, um, maybe you didn't understand what the expectation should be, you know, or what the outcome should be. We are going to take a quick break to tell you about our awesome new program called the Sciatica Protocol. If you don't have the time to see a professional, but are tired of trying to figure out this recovery on your own, then the Sciatica Protocol is for you. Harness the power of a knowledgeable physical therapist through your phone. It takes no more than seven minutes per day, and it is designed to help you recover as quickly as possible. It is simple to start, and all you need to do is log into ifixyoursciatica.com forward slash the dash sciatica dash protocol and fill out the nine question quiz to begin. The link for the program is in today's show notes. 100%. Um, it's this concept of, uh, we call it the, the alliance, right? The alliance that you create between your patient, your provider. You have to be able to believe, and in order for you to believe, and in order for you to have that trust, you have to be properly informed. And during a time where life is so overwhelming, you're experiencing this pain and all you want to do is just get out of that pain. We need to focus on addressing that problem, but it's together. Um, And so um, let's talk about like this concept of conservative care, right? So usually surgery is the last resort in regards to, okay, you've gone through conservative care. It's not recovering. Um, We briefly talked about at the beginning, there really isn't that much of a standard of care in regards to treating, say, even like from a physical therapy standpoint, how to address sciatica pain. Like you go like in in a town of 15 therapists, you're going to most likely see 15 various different ways to treat this. And so 
for those folks who said, I've been through everything. This has been a long journey. For you, um, from your standpoint, how long is enough time for conservative care to be considered and effective? Well, I have a little bit of a different twist on this. I know it's hard to believe, but the clock starts the minute someone gave you a diagnosis. That means a structural, anatomic level, or specific pain generator. Because you're just getting treated um, randomly for a very specific problem. So that would be like putting water on smoke. It's never putting the fire out. So a lot of times patients will come to my office and I'll say, Hey, okay. Has anybody ever, has any surgeon ever examined you like this? So I test their hip and their SI joint and flexion extent, blah, 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 all this stuff, right? No doc. Has anybody correlated your symptoms with a surgical, an anatomic level? meaning level of a disc or, or SI joint or hip, right? No, doc. Okay, well, we're going to have to try physical. I, we've already done physical therapy. So this is what I see a lot. Patients go, get put on traction. They have SI problems. Guess what happens? Their SI problems get way worse because you're pulling on their hips. You're pulling on their ilium, their ischium. It's worse. And uh, it's not going to work. Well, if, how about we have to do gentle mobs or some sort of ligament uh, so I try to direct my patients to therapy with what I think a likely diagnosis is that will guide the PT. The PTs can make those decisions on their own, but this is another set of hands to say, hey, you guys might want to try to treat that. If they go there for four weeks-ish and no better than we injections or injections at the same time, 80% of all comers, and we know this from our own surgical literature, the sport trial, which is a disc trial, right? 80% of all comers get better spontaneously in the first six weeks. And that does that means no therapy, no care, no therapy, therapy, chiropractic care, injections, surgery, right? Everybody's the same at two years. That trial says that patients who have radiculopathy from nerve root compression, persistent nerve root compression, the surgery patients tend to have symptom relief sooner, right? But that's – so you have to at least try conservative measures first. Contain disc herniations, patients who can find positions of comfort, meaning less pain in their extremity on a certain position. Those patients tend to get better without surgery. Not 100%, but more likely than not. Yeah. I really appreciate you sharing that because, yeah, during those first six weeks, there's a, for sure an inflammatory component. And I love the fact that you said, if, if even, even if it's a positional uh, improvement, because oftentimes when I'm working with my clients, I say, what are the positions that actually make you feel better? And then from there, how can we replicate that a little bit more, right? To be able I to totally see, do that yeah. now. That's in my... <laughs> I mean, I, I have, it's been a long time since I have people do press-ups or something like that in my office, but I've done it. Yeah. And it, so that's care model, really, right? If you're talking, that's kind of how I do stuff. I don't know as much as you around therapy, not even close. It's been so long, I haven't done it. So I don't claim to be an expert. I know enough about that to be dangerous to the patients. Um, but at the same time, you have to give it a chance, give it a whirl, you know. Um, there was something else. Um, 
when patients, so the patients who fail conservative care and I have an anatomic diagnosis, they usually respond to decompression, stabilization, or deformity correction. So I'm already selecting patients that you're probably going to do better surgery because you failed all those other things. So it's, if properly worked up, the patients who wind up having to go to the OR, if it's multi, if it's like segmental, meaning one or two levels, it's pretty predictable. So therapy can be used to predict who would improve from surgery if you have a structural diagnosis. That's the way I look at it. And that structural diagnosis will for sure actually lead to whatever treatment it should be, whether it be through conservative care. Like, and um, I mean, I think that's one of the big Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba challenges that I have with a lot of, well, not a lot, but in some cases, people will come and say, hey, Ashley, I've been doing PT here and there. And these are all exercises I've been doing. And I think what ends up happening is that in some cases, there's some physical therapy or just whatever profession, like even just like someone who's intervening is like, let me just give you this whole shotgun approach, um, this whole shotgun Correct. approach, all these different right. exercises, which it used to be that kind of stand, it used to be that standard of care we'll say 10 to 20 years ago, but what we found is, and as you've noticed, is like building that trust, that patient centered care and to be able to, in essence, problem solve. And um, which then actually brings up uh, and you actually answered this uh, uh, earlier before, but I think it would be great to be able to uh, reiterate it, but say, for example, one of the, like, say if the listeners are here and they're communicating with the doctor and they're like, okay, I think I'm con- I think I may be a candidate for surgery, but after hearing this, I don't have a clerk. Uh, I don't quite have a structural diagnosis. H- how do I bring this up to my surgeon, my doctor, um, to, to be able to make it possible to, to be truly informed and build that trust? The best way the patient can talk to the doc is say, or the therapist or the chiropractor, say, I don't understand what my diagnosis is. Just start with that. If they can't explain it to you, they don't understand what your diagnosis is either. That sounds terrible, but like, so I'm going to put this out there and you can do whatever you want with it. Sciatica. That's a symptom driven term. Leg pain, back pain, buttock pain. So if we, which we do, that's the effect. We're trying to make differences in the causes. What's the cause of the sciatica? In one of my lectures, I have like this slide where it's all the different causes of sciatica. It's piriformis syndrome, it's SI, it's hip, right? It's foraminal, 
It's extra foraminal. It's spondy. It's five. I mean, those are five different causes, five different treatments. So try to get to that. If they don't know that, then you need to find someone that can help explain to you what is spondylosis. If they won't take five minutes to tell you it's arthritis of the spine and explain what that means, then maybe they're not the best doctor for you or treatment person for you. We're here to, I mean, really, we're here to educate, right? That's the whole basis of physical therapy is education. Um, the patients need to understand what's going on with their body and modify that, right? So physician surgery is the same thing. That would be what I would start with first. I think the reason that happens, the shotgun approach, there's no standard way to evaluate and communicate about patients. That's And that's how we came up with transcendent care and machine learning stuff that we're doing because we feel like there's only one way to do a knee replacement. There's a hundred, there's how many different ways to evaluate a spine patient. And that variability kills quality and predictability and outcome generation. It's time for that to stop. I mean, I just, we're as a healthcare, as a discipline, uh, cor corporate wise, if you want to say, is very immature. It's time to use technology to help ripen it, um, produce some reasonable, predictable outcomes, you know? 100%. Yeah. And I think that's huge to be able to have a center. Again, there's there's really not that much. I mean, even if you see on the research sites, they're like general exercise program or like general something. And then you go in the study, they don't tell you. And so from there, you have various different certifications bodies groups that will actually say like this is the best way and you're absolutely right yeah. sciatica itself is a symptom it can be caused by many different things and it is important for whoever you're working with to be able to help identify that so um for the folks who are saying okay i think um i i think uh surgery is for me and they're trying to look at what okay once the surgery is done right there's a lot of things that you need to get done but once the surgery is done what what, what what's to expect um, after these surgeries, um, the recovery, I mean, there's a lot of different things, but, um, from your end, what do you often tell your patients when it comes to, okay, you're gonna get this, but this is what to expect post surgery. So the, 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 the day before the surgery, I come to my office, I explained, I, we literally open up the films, talk about their symptoms. And I tell them what I'm going to do stepwise, right? We're going to put you on the table. I'm going to do this, 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 and this. And then I'll tell them, you know, after surgery, you'll probably have incisional back pain, right? Um, but hopefully your leg symptoms or arm symptoms would be gone. And I'll say it like that. And I was always told, don't do that. And some of it is patient expectation. You know, if they expect to feel better, guess what they're going to do? They're going to feel better. Um, fortunately, with some of the, the lumbar surgeries, there's techniques to help lower or lessen the incisional back pain with so we're now doing field blocks you used to do a hudofemoral nerve block for total knee replacement you can do field blocks in the low back which help quite a bit but uh, until the month so i tell them two weeks the skin to heal right another four weeks six weeks for the muscle to start to fire and function again and then if it's a surgery if a fusion i'd say 12 weeks for bone healing so really if you think about the trunk we cut through the back of this tube and it has to function again. So up and walking is the best thing for you. Um, you know, therapeutic exercise is good, but really walking is a wonderful thing for patients to start moving their body. It's cardiovascularly driven. 
and it's reciprocal motion and the trunk actually does a ton um and just just in game and you don't i usually want patients to take it easy because i've had i've done it as a therapist mobilize people too soon and the surgery can be compromised didn't really know understand and i've seen people have it happen they they rip the wound open all kinds of stuff you just want to let that happen naturally and um, as more more people move, but that's only taking care of a segmental problem. They have problems with inflammatory diets, morbid obesity, all these other things. It's like nutrition is probably a problem for you. If it's a box or a bag, don't eat it. Now, I love chips. I got my own personal problems with tobacco, right? But they're not here talking about me. This is about you. So it's like I would stay away from alcohol, you know, drink as much water as you can. So it, it, now I'm starting to realize like my job is to guide people in wellness. And we didn't learn squat about that in medical school. Surgery is one thing, but your overall outcome would be influenced by all these other choices that you're making. <sighs> um, with some patients, I tell them is this is an opportunity for you to change your life. You know, young guys that have been working in construction for 20 years suddenly can't have that kind of job. And then they don't know what to do. And so it's like, is this an opportunity for you? It's, it's, it's challenging for patients. And, and it's hard for you to realize that unless you're in it yourself. I mean, your mortality is definitely challenged. Frailty, getting older, all these things. It's like, oh, my God. In some ways, you can use that as leverage with patients to say, is this the direction you want to continue to go in your life? I saw a patient today in the hospital get a lumbar surgery with, by another surgeon I was covering for them. The guy's a chronic alcoholic, dying from alcoholism. Uh, hey, do you want to stop drinking? No. Okay, I'll see you later. I mean, he has no desire to change his life. But if you can get someone to buy into that, the, there's more to the job than just being a, a technician. Anybody can do a decompression, right? And so this goes back to your relationship with the patient and your ability to leverage their, their own need to change. So that's kind of, I do that sometimes, not all the time. If someone's open to that, I'll do it. Um, but I'll talk to them about, you know, ultimately my, my discharge plan for you as a spine patient is yoga. Uh, as some program where you're stretching and moving and, and, you know, you're active daily. That's kind of it. I love that. I think it's huge. Um, I mean, two parts. If we're looking at like the whole person, um, this concept of like nutrition, lifestyle, like even alcohol, I mean, it's all this concept of behaviors and my experience, like seeing people who have gone through so much pain, it wasn't very often that it was a specific traumatic incidence in which the pain came on. And it was kind of like, oh, I bent forward and my back hurt. And it's like all of a sudden their pain started to go down. And, was, and someone told me early on in my career, it was kind of like uh, it's an accumulation of stresses. It was kind of like the last straw that broke the camel's back. Right. right. And so it got me thinking about, okay, well, you go in and you get your surgery, you get fixed, right? You get tuned up, whatever parts that need to be fixed, they're, they're fixed. But then we also have to make sure that our behaviors and habits, like even just the concept of like picking something up from the floor, we have to be able to do that um, properly going into the mechanics themselves. Well, yeah. yeah. Because if like, I like to think about it. And I've said this before to the clients that I work with. It's like your body's like a car. And truth be told, it's okay to every now and then for your, say, your your rim to kind of hit the curb if you need to. You hit the curb because you're swerving out of the way. But if you hit the curb just once, you're fine. But if you keep hitting the curb enough, you're going to 
ding up your rim. You're going to start to lose air. You pretty much blow out a tire. I mean, and all of a sudden it's like the, you have to stop driving into the curb, which is also going to one protect you, but then also to allow you to drive and do those activities. Right. Longer. Right. So it was, uh, it was a story. And um, I often, uh, I don't think it's told enough. It's like, okay, you, you do, you get your surgery, you get your PT, whatever you get and you're fixed in order for you to, make those changes or keep those changes, you have to change what you're doing. And I really appreciate that you take the time out of your day to, um, to do that, uh, or during your, your sessions. And so, uh, when, like when it comes to standard of care, Dr. Verdon, and I think that's, that's what the standard of care should be of what you're providing. So I, I really appreciate everything you. that you're sharing because, uh, yeah, we need to have a standard and, and truth be told, interesting enough, and you may or may not experience this, but some people who, when, when they're working with me, they're like, Ashley, you're so amazing. Not to, you know, make my head blow up, but all I want to do is I just want to make sure that what I'm providing for the clients that I work with is the standard of care. And it kills me to know that the way that I operate isn't, right? And so that's where it is important for us to be able to drive push our professions a little bit harder into being able to provide a standard or set a standard. So that way more people can be helped. So I, I, uh, again, I really appreciate all this. Yeah, no, um, it's interesting. You say, I was just thinking about talking to a, a, a gentleman who was working for a company and it was around nutrition stuff. And he was a chiropractor and he's now working for this, uh, company that sells supplements and we were talking about the biology of them and they were i was impressed how much science went into this and all of it makes a ton of sense um and it should be standard it's not um you know and it was interesting because we made a comment about it's like well if someone's not interested that's fine i'm here to educate you and just move on and i thought um in some in some ways it's like uh this you know David and Goliath, you know, you're this little guy, you got this little rock, but you got a slingshot and you're going after folks. And sometimes, you know, if you, the truth is true because it's true. And what's true for you may not be true for somebody else, but as game acknowledges game, truth will acknowledge truth and it'll be across disciplines. And it's so obvious you can't, can't stop it so if you're doing the right thing no matter what people um will throw rocks at you but the patients who you're helping will acknowledge that i'm not for everybody not everybody patient not every patient i've who's ever come and seen me has been like it's like what do you mean no surgery uh, what, are you, what are you talking about exercise i'm not doing that how i have to lose weight you want me to get my diabetes under control? No way. Can't you just fix me? And my answer is we fix animals. You're not an animal. You're a human being. And you, you have some responsibility to what, the, you know, this, this skin suit that I got was given to me. I, you know, I'm, I have some responsibility to take care of it. Um, and I think if you honor that inside somebody else, you'll actually empower them, which is because, you know, and then they empower you. So it's a reciprocal, you give and receive at one time. So every time a patient, I see a patient, I'm really doing that for myself. Not, not, I mean, yes for them, but for me too. And I'm, I'm not, some days I have a bad day, you know, I'm not the best, but like I try to honor that with people. 
And I think that's what it talk about, you know, caregiving, right? And so, and, and then as you go on, you, you realize some of the stuff that you believe is what you were taught isn't true or what you believe is wrong. Um, um, and then you get to learn and grow. You know, I'm starting to add new things to my practice because I think that they're important that I should be offering them at. You know, if I told my trainers this stuff or um, they'd arrest me, so, you know, but I think it's what's best for other people. That's what I would want for me. You know, one of my partners used to tell me, would you, would you offer your, this to your family member, to you, someone do it on you, you know? And if the answer is always yes, then that's an easy question to answer. Right. For sure. Doing the right thing, showing the truth. And I mean, ultimately letting the results speak for themselves. If you're helping people, that's the, that's the big thing. And so it's called practice for a reason. Exactly. That sounds stupid. Sounds stupid, but like, we're just going to do it and see what happens. It's, you know, that's, I hate to say it like that, but that's the truth. So, yeah. And then you take what you learned and you apply it to the next patient. Yeah. So it, it's true. Like it's, it's a body of knowledge that you add to every patient interaction that you have. I like to think about every patient interaction as a learning experience and also as an opportunity to help. But I mean, with every increasing experience, it's, I like to say like, listen, your this interaction today, like it just continues to get better. The more information I get from you, the more that we can build this uh, alliance. And so it's, uh, it's really huge. And so Dr. Verdon, I mean, thank you so much. So Dr. Verdon, thank you so much for your time and expertise. I think this yeah. really shed a lot of light on surgery, people's approaches, and making it less scary. Because going under the knife, being put under anesthesia, in and itself is a very, very scary situation. And so being able to even reduce that fear is going to improve the outcomes significantly across all standpoints. And so for the folks who are listening, they're like, okay, yeah, Dr. Vernon makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, what's the best way to, to, to say, like, if they have questions, get in touch with you. But then also, I know that you are doing something really big and amazing that's actually going to be revolutionizing healthcare, right? And so tell us a little bit more about that. So um, we've taken this approach and digitized it. So over time, I was asked by friends and colleagues, hey, I have a little hospital that's called a third path for hospital. So a lot of my buddies are from Lahore, Pakistan, and they'd say, I have a friend, can you look at the films and tell me what to do? So we called like getting curbsided, right? Hey, tell us. So we, I said, why well, can't you digitize that? And then I would start asking history questions of my friends who are not the patient. And I realized, can we digitize the questions? And then I started to really think about what I do. And really, I just learned how to run algorithms. Um, one in physical medicine, PT, and another one in spine surgery. And we combine them and we have a way to run an algorithm to come up with a potential diagnosis. And we were lucky to be able to show this to people during COVID. And, and it's, a, it's a digital way to take in a patient. Uh, the one thing that we got asked is, you know, that's great. That's a diagnosis. But what about triage? We don't even know the right patient doesn't get to the right person at the right time most of the time. So we created another we call it spine bot. It's a triage bot for spine patients. And we were able to take some questions and come up with a score that would predict where the patient should go based on their symptomatology and their severity. Um, it's either go to the surgeon or a pain doctor or PT, right? So those three buckets, and it's right about 95% of the time, which is pretty darn accurate. And when, then we, in, in the midst of all that, we created a little company. It's called Transcendent 
Care Incorporated, um, www.transcendentcareinc.com. It's the landing page, but we're basically we're in five different uh, clinics right now. With, we're launching in two other pretty large clinics in the Southeast, um, which we want to change the way patients get scheduled. So now it's, I want to go see the doctor. We're, we're taking the approach of, I want to go where I can get the help as quick as I can. And so we're hoping to make it an operational efficiency across the system. Um, so you don't go see the therapist when you need to see the surgeon and you don't go see the surgeon when you need to see pain management based on, and it, it's based on validated studies and it's very accurate. So I think that we, I, I know that we can digitize care. I know that we can streamline care. I know we can make care more efficient. That's number one. But the real thing is if you're put in front of the wrong person, they're going to have the wrong mindset treating you. So we need to get people to where they need to go. Um, and then diagnostic accuracy, accuracy needs to be better. So I, pain genera generator identification has to be standardized and must be improved. And we can do that. We've done that. So when we ran that little study, it originally was about 85% accurate. Right now, it's about the standard of care, which is analog, which is this. It's about 60% accurate. So just by digitizing things, we can make it, we can improve significantly. And that's a very small change. I think it's going to get higher and higher as we add more factors in. And every time I've showed this to a doc, they get, they get really excited about it. It's just a matter of getting it into the system. It's a low-cost way to improve care. Um, you know, it's, it's across disciplines and we believe you can do it for any ology. Anytime you run an algorithm, you can do this. So that means heart sure. failure, diabetes, hypertension, symptom driven care, gallbladder disease. Everything is symptom driven. That's the only reason people show up to the doctor's office, except if it's a well visit. Um, and then honestly, then your care could be driven even by genetics and behavioral stuff. So we have a lot, of, we have a ton of data, but no tools to influence the direction of care. That's what's coming with machine learning. Uh, there's all different components of machine learning that people don't talk about. Um, the, real, the real challenge is this. Are the clinicians going to sit by and let technology dictate to us what care is going to be? Or are we going to code, learn about code, become fluent in the language of code, and become the subject matter experts required to digitize care. I think I don't, I want to be the latter, you know, digital medicine is coming. You can either it. be the bug or you can be the windshield. Like I am not going to be the bug. So the onus is going to be on people who can see the, see the possibilities and apply knowledge expertise and work in groups to get that to happen. And it's going to happen. So, um, you know, I, that's why I've committed probably the last 10 years of my career to doing this stuff. And it's a long sales cycle, but I don't care because I believe. So right now what we have is an N of one. When your career is over, all of your clinical experience is gone. Isn't that sad? It's you crazy. You may write books, but your clinical experience and how you treat patients is gone. That's kind of unacceptable. Specifically when Jeff Bezos knows everything I've bought in the last 10 years. We have the technology to, to categorize and data pool information. You know, my kids 
will not accept the fact that they don't get to take any of that knowledge and move it forward. So it's an evolution. We're at an evolutionary inflection in healthcare. And as far as I'm concerned, that's that's what's required. For sure. I think it's important for clinicians to be able to, to really adapt because there's so many tools that can actually help us uh, help our clients a little bit more. And so, you know, uh, so machine learning, the future of digitized healthcare can be an entirely other conversation. And I want to talk more about this because I think it's so important. Um, but for, for the listeners out there who are like, Dr. Verdon, this is really helpful. Um, what's the best way to get in touch if they have any questions or if that's okay to, to, to say, I, I just want to know, like, even if I'm not in the same state as you, uh, I was really thankful for, uh, for your episode um, today. Uh, I'm on social media, kind of LinkedIn. So Michael P. Verdon, um, DO, F-A-C-O-S is they can even visit our website, my practice website and ask questions if they choose to. I'm okay with that. Uh, that's uh, www w.daytonneurospine.com. Um, either one of those two, uh, we'd be happy to reach out and get back to you and just reference our, this conversation and I'll, I'll know what it's about. Um, and that's, that's probably the best two ways to get in touch with me. Love it. Dr. Verdon, thank you again for your time. Really insightful, opening up the doors to so many, uh, the standard of care and standard solution, but really making surgeries a lot less scary and providing people a direction to be able to say, this is what I can do. So thank you again. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. You keep up the good work too on the therapy side. I, I see you. Thank you so much for tuning in. We hope you got some help from today's podcast. And for more info, check us out at ifixyoursciatica.com. Have a fantastic and pain-free day. No patient-therapist relationship is formed by listening to this podcast. We are not providing medical advice, and all information should be confirmed by a medical provider. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.